Welcome to Write Medicine, where we explore best practices in creating continuing education content for health professionals. I'm Alex Housen, and I'm on a mission to share expert insights and field perspectives on topics like adult learning, content creation techniques, effective formats, and trends in healthcare that influence the type of continuing education content that we create. Write Medicine is the premier podcast for CME CPD professionals like you wherever you are in the content creation process. Join us. I think the number one tip is to make sure you know who the audience is. It seems like that might be something that it's obvious you need to know, but the number of times it gets left out of a brief because sometimes it's hard to define and the client doesn't necessarily specify the audience because either they're too busy and aren't really thinking about it, they just know that they need this slide deck done or this manuscript to be written. And sometimes they kind of think that it's so obvious that they don't need to say it. Unfortunately for medical writers, we're often working across different accounts, many different projects with different clients, rather than being completely embedded in one team and one drug like their client would be. And so it is really useful to actually specify, this is the audience that we're focusing on. If you're a medical writer, my guess is that you occasionally struggle to engage your target audience. Health professionals have less time and shorter attention spans, making it critical for content creators in CME and medical communications more generally to master storytelling techniques that get their audiences interested and engaged with content. Whether we're talking about slide decks, manuscripts, educational modules, bite-sized content or omni-channel content. For anyone passionate about medical writing or considering a leap into freelancing within the medcoms industry in general or continuing medical education in particular, this episode sheds light on the unique challenges and rewards. My guest is Eleanor Steele, also known as Medcom's mentor, and today she's sharing how she transitioned from agency work to running a successful freelance business in medical communications. Join us to learn more about the gaps that Eleanor identified in the market for specialised training and professional development and get practical advice from Eleanor about storytelling frameworks that support a logical flow of information and answer audience questions, how to frame content around audience needs and interests, and the skills you'll need to write bite-sized short-form content optimised for different formats. This conversation with Eleanor is episode 102 of Write Medicine and is part of our first Friday series, which profiles medical writers and how they've broken into the field and how they've broken into the field of medical writing. It's also the last episode of season seven. Are you ready to learn about how to craft compelling stories tailored for your clinical audience? Then let's jump right in. Let's start with your journey into medical communications and how you transitioned from working in agencies to running your own business. Yeah. So I got started in Medcoms in 2004. 
I had done a degree in neuroscience and had intended to do a PhD after that. But during my final year research project, I discovered that using microscopes on a daily basis gave me horrific migraines. So I knew that I couldn't go and do the research that I was particularly interested in. I looked back on my degree and realized that actually I'd been much more interested in the writing side rather than doing science. So after I graduated, I basically looked for any job that included science or medicine and writing. I had no idea what my comms was and was just applying for any job that looked like it might be vaguely relevant. And so stumbled into my first medcoms role and was very lucky because it suited me down to the ground. I worked my way up the medical writing side of things in a variety of different agencies to the point where I was running the scientific team um, in a couple of different agencies. And when I was in that position, I was very busy. I had a lot of client work to do. I had big teams to manage and I never really had the time or the headspace to do the development work, the training and sort of in-depth coaching that I knew that my teams needed so that they could progress and take on broader roles. So I looked up elsewhere. I looked for external trainers who could come in and do some sessions with my team and just didn't find anything that was really specific enough beyond sort of basic writing skills. And so I thought, oh, this seems like a bit of a gap in the market. And I went freelance in 2018 after my second child was born and decided to sort of build up this training and mentoring side of what I do alongside freelance medical writing and consultancy around sort of medcoms, scientific projects and things like that. So when you were pulling in external vendors to provide professional development and training, can you say a little bit more about, you know, you said something to the effect that they weren't going deep enough. What, what did that look like? And what are some of the gaps that you've been seeing in the, in the training and professional development market for medical writers? Yeah. So this was sort of 10, 12 years ago, and there were a few people who were doing introductory medical writing skills, sort of how to write an abstract, how to write a paper. And that was all fine, but there was nothing that went beyond that. So how to develop your career from knowing how to be a solid medical writer to how to be a senior writer, how to review other people's work, how to manage a portfolio of projects, how to be strategic and give good advice and add value to your clients and also how to approach business development. So I found people who were able to give business development and strategy training, but from a much more advertising perspective, rather than for a specific mm. healthcare medcoms agency environment. And so basically, I didn't really ever find people who could give the kind of training that I knew that my teams needed. And so it wasn't something that I was able to do with external vendors at that time. I had to kind of scrabble things together myself or just have people sort of learning the basics. So that was, that was kind of a big, a big motivator to go and do it myself. And so can you talk a little bit about what it is that you do and who you do it for? Yeah, sure. So I tend to work with medcoms agencies and probably the bulk of the work that I've done has been at the junior level, because I think that's where 
People often have a training program for people who are new to the industry. And it's been really interesting working with a variety of different people to see their different approaches, the ways that they actually kind of bring people into medcoms and the types of things that they train them on. So some people will go into an agency and have maybe six weeks working on training content before they get onto any live work, whereas other agencies will have training sessions interspersed with live work and people are kind of embedded in a client team from the very beginning. And other agencies have a much more kind of on-the-job training approach where people get started and then have some training sessions maybe six months down the line. So it's, it's really varied. And I will often work with agencies providing a couple of training sessions within a training program. I've worked with a few agencies to actually help develop that training program, putting together the structure and some of the content development, although I usually work with other content experts, particularly if it's broader than medical writing. So if there's any kind of client services aspects, that's not my area of expertise. So other people would would provide that kind of thing. So that's quite a lot of what I do on the training side. But I have worked with other agencies to do things with the whole team, for example, on storytelling in medcoms, because that's something that everybody in the writing team needs to know. And there's always more that you can learn, no matter how experienced you are as a writer, thinking about storytelling and how you're actually bringing your audience through the content in a way that's right for them. Because I think that's one of the hardest things to learn as a medical writer, to write for an audience that you're not part of. And so that's something that I focus on in different ways in a lot of the different training materials that I have. And another key topic is actually reviewing your work. So everybody needs to review their work in a strategic and targeted way so that you're actually checking for the things that you may find harder to do in your first draft. Sometimes that might be kind of typos and details. Sometimes that might be story structure. Sometimes it might be making sure that you've actually done all of the things that were in the brief that you needed to do. So that's a that's a key skill that writers need to learn and to hone because we tend to develop our writing skills through school and university, but people don't really get taught how to actually review their work through those sort of courses and, and learning environments. So that's often quite new to people coming into medcoms. But as you get more senior, you have to review other people's work, which mm. comes with some similar, but also some slightly different skills that you have to be looking at the work based on what it needs to do and the audience that it's communicating with, while not just trying to make it into the project that you would have written if you had been given the brief. Knowing the difference between something that needs to change because of the style or the audience or the objective rather than your own personal preferences can be quite tricky to learn, but also giving feedback in a constructive way that is going to help the writer that you're working with do the best possible job on the project, but also develop their skills so that they're going to be better able to do a good job next time or in a different project and kind of develop that understanding of what they're trying to do and kind of broaden their skills. That's that's also something that that I do quite a lot of training on. So I this is so good. I I, I really want to kind of dig into a couple of things that you talked about there in terms of sure. I think you're right. We talk a lot about storytelling, but not necessarily talk about how to actually engage, you know, to use storytelling tactics 
And also, I want to ask you about audience. So mm. in part of that, uh, in, in the training that you do, or in the training that you do around reviewing somebody else's work, how would you address those two points of a piece, a piece of work in terms of storytelling and mm. audience? First of all, let's, let's start with audience. Sure. What are some of the things that you encourage writers to do in order to really get to learn a little bit more about the audience that they're writing for, especially when they're not part of that audience themselves? Yeah. Do you have that's any a really, tips really or tricks question. that you... Yeah. Yeah. So I think the number one tip is to make sure you know who the audience is. It seems like that might be something that it's obvious you need to know, but the number of times it gets left out of a brief because sometimes mm. it's hard to define. And the client doesn't necessarily specify the audience because either they're too busy and aren't really thinking about it. They just know that they need this slide deck done or this manuscript to be written. And sometimes they kind of think that it's so obvious that they don't need to say it. Unfortunately for medical writers, we're often working across different accounts, many different projects with different clients, mm. rather than being completely embedded in one team and one drug like their client would be. And so it is really useful to actually specify, this is the audience that we're focusing on. We're looking at prescriber hematologists who are going to be working in regional hospitals, or we're looking at top tier KOLs or another type of healthcare professional, maybe nurses or physiotherapists or nutritionists, because we could be communicating with such a, a wide variety of different healthcare professional audiences. Yeah, nailing it down, knowing which audience we're focusing on is very, very important. Once we do know, I think it's a really good idea to have a look at some other materials that that audience would be using. So if you're going to be writing a paper for submission to a particular journal, Having a look at a few of those papers, seeing what level of detail they go into, the kind of terminology, to know what that audience is going to be expecting to see. So I remember working with a, a junior writer a while ago on a paper about diabetes, and it was going to be submitted to a diabetes-specific journal. They spent half of the introduction to this paper explaining what type 2 diabetes was. And that kind of thing that audience is going to understand. They will know what type 2 diabetes is. They will know what the risk factors are. They will know the consequences of uncontrolled hyperglycemia in a type 2 diabetes patient. You don't need to go into that level of detail. So just a few abstracts even, kind of thinking about what this kind of audience is likely to be familiar with and what they're going to be expecting from a piece of work is important but also taking a little bit of time to think about why they might be interested in what you're writing. So what their unanswered questions are going to be and how you can answer some of them in that content. Thinking about the kind of things that they might be concerned about or struggling with. Those kind of things are really useful to make sure that they are actually going to stick with the content all the way through, which is harder and harder these days as people's attention spans are dwindling. Mm -hmm. But it also helps with the storytelling. Because if you can look at the information that you're trying to get across and see what that audience is going to be particularly interested in, you can use it kind of as a hook to get them into the content. And then when you are putting together the, the story flow, 
bringing it back to that kind of question that you've brought them in with will help make sure that you're framing everything in the right way, giving them the right context and interpretation and bringing it back to that kind of key question that you've identified at the beginning. And that sort of thread running through helps keep the audience engaged, gives them what they want and helps you understand what to include and how to interpret it. Oh, that's wonderful. So I have a couple of questions there. Uh, You're talking about, you know, framing and using hooks and Mm -hmm. that storytelling thread. So I definitely want to jump into that. But first, you know, one of the things I notice in some people who find themselves, who find their way into continuing medical education is that they're not Mm -hmm. actually very clear about what it is that health professionals do or different types Mm -hmm. of health professionals. So what are the roles and responsibilities for nurse practitioners say versus yeah. RNs this is in the in the US of course or or even pharmacists you yeah. know what is it that pharmacists do in a hospital situation and so do you come across that kind of challenge in particularly in due to the field writers who might who might come from a science background or a bench background yeah. or be academics and haven't necessarily had exposure to the kind of uh, the practice, the clinical practice element of health professionals' work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from a medcoms perspective, that's often something that we can get from talking to the external experts that we're working with. So often we will have a speaker for the meeting and that we're, we're working with them to put a presentation together or authors on a paper. And so thinking about those kind of questions and asking the experts that we're working with having a having a go at trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the audience so that we're sort of coming to them with a question to react to so would this be one of the responsibilities of a pharmacist in the hospital or of a general practitioner who is working with patients with type 2 with diabetes or whatever it is so that you've got something that they can then either say yes that's right, or no, this is how it would be, rather than going to them and saying, what do they do? What do you guys do on a daily basis? That's, that's too broad. We always need to kind of pin it down. And to get to those more specific questions, I think this is one of the things that AI can help us with. So this was often quite a tricky one back in the day when Google was just Google. But now we have tools where we can ask much more specific questions and use AI to kind of do the research for us. Now, it's something we have to be careful with. So I usually Mm -hmm. recommend asking the same question to a couple of different tools. So I tend to use Google Bard and Bing chat when I'm doing kind of background research questions. And this is quite useful for background research into a therapy area as well, just to kind of get you started. Thinking about the kind of things that it's very hard to know when you're outside a specialty, asking what that kind of person would do on a day-to-day basis or what kind of unmet needs that kind of healthcare professional would have. It can just be so useful to get you started double checking between two to make sure that you're getting similar answers because that makes Mm. it much more likely that they're telling the truth rather than making things up. But I think that can be a very nice way of kind of getting you started so that you know the questions to ask. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, having questions, knowing the right questions to ask is mm. a really important part of trying to kind of figure out who your audience is. And I feel like sometimes we kind of assume <laughs> we yep. know who the audience is and we're not necessarily asking those questions up front. So that's a great tip. And thank you for, for sharing that. So then how do you use that audience targeting to, do you have a framework that you teach writers to help them think about storytelling? I do actually. Yeah. So I use a couple of different frameworks when I'm looking at the story. So I, I kind of have a, a story structure where there are five elements to sort of take you through the story from beginning to end. So scene setting, thinking about where we are. So whether it's patients in a particular clinic, in our particular country or globally and what kind of condition they have and thinking about what their unmet need is and then how we respond to that unmet need, then the results that have come out of that unmet need and the investigation into it. And then the the final part is the the resolution where we look at it all together and think about the context and unanswered questions, future research, broader interpretation of what's been done. So that's kind of a very quick example, kind of taking you through a particular scenario, but it can be used and adapted for lots of different types of, of stories to really think about how you want to bring in each of those elements so that you don't have any gaps. But I also think that it's very important to be thinking about the, the people involved. So that's the audience and Obviously, they are very important for, for targeting when we're actually creating some content. But we also need to be thinking about the broader stakeholders who are involved. So that would include the patients that they're treating and the pharma client who we are working with and thinking about sort of what they are intending to do with this particular piece of content. And also... From a, a medcoms perspective, when we're working with authors or speakers, what they want, they're also a very important part of that process. And I always recommend that medical writers see that the work that they do is to put together the best possible version of what that author of what or what that speaker would do, rather than doing something that's completely alien to them. So we need mm. to be considering their their style, their preferences, their expertise and opinions rather than just kind of going off on our own bat sort of thing. And so, and thank you for, for sharing that. That's really helpful. When you're working with new to the field writers, whether in the agency context or when you're talking to writers who are thinking, as you've done, of going freelance, yeah. what are some of the main challenges that you're seeing in terms of the ongoing training and professional development that they need? Yeah, that's... That's a tricky one, especially for, for the freelancers out there. Mm. I think people who go freelance are often relatively experienced because I think in medcoms at least, it's necessary to have the contact from agency and, and the experience of the different types of work so that you can actually get freelance work once, once you do make the leap. But that it can lead to sort of a bit of stagnation that you're doing the same kind of projects with the same kind of clients and not necessarily 
progressing because you're not getting the feedback which is such a huge mm. part of how writers within agencies are trained. So freelancers will often do a project, send it back to the agency, and that will be the last they hear about it. They don't get the review feedback to you know, take it to the next draft. They will give it back and then the agency will deal with it from there sort of thing. And I think it's, it's fairly common for freelancers to just be on a constant cycle of doing a project, sending it out, and that's it, which does make it hard to develop. I think it's possible for freelancers to do some of the development themselves by having some time to reflect on what they've done and thinking about things that they found hard, things that they found worked well and what they might want to do differently or keep doing the same thing in future projects. It can be very hard to justify that kind of time because in the freelance life, you know, we want to keep churning out the billable hours rather than taking time where we're not being paid. But I think from a development perspective, it is quite useful to take that 15 minutes at the end of a project mm -hmm. and look back at how it went what you can learn from it. Because I think there's always something that you would think, actually, yeah, I would do that differently next time. There's always something that you can identify, but if you don't make a note of it, you're likely to forget. Agreed. And I think that that kind of building that kind of retrospective into your your work plan and your sort of business year yeah. is is good business practice as well as, you know, good for professional development and and keeping your own skills skills up yeah. to date and probably should be part of the metrics that you collect as a freelance mm. freelance writing business <laughs> owner. <laughs> so just to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, audiences, mm. you have started your own YouTube channel, Medcom's Mentor. Yes. So which audiences are you focused on there and how has being, you know, developing YouTube content influenced your own approach to sort of you know, training and supporting the writers that you're working with, whether in an agency context or not? Yeah. So it's been a really interesting journey doing the YouTube channel. I, I started it in March, 2023. And for several months, I was releasing a video every week. I've slowed down a little bit now because it's it's really time consuming and kind of hard work <laughs> having to, it's a tight having time, to do that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah definitely. So that was definitely a bit of a, a learning curve for me, understanding how much time goes into a 20-minute video. So the majority of my videos are aimed at either people who are interested in a career in medcoms and want to know a bit more about the industry, what you do, the different careers, um, the clients that we work with, the types of projects, things like that. But I also have videos for freelancers, so helping people who don't necessarily have much access to learning and development because they are working by themselves rather than within an agency where there's that sort of learning and development infrastructure. So those are the, the two main audiences that I've been focusing on. And it's been, it's been really interesting sort of connecting a bit more with those audiences because I started off with ideas based on things that people have 
said to me or asked me, whether that's in mentoring sessions, because I, I do professional mentoring um, for clients, usually freelancers, but sometimes I will work with people within agencies as well. And I've also attended quite a lot of networking events, mainly with people who are looking to get their first job in the industry. So I've picked up a lot of ideas about topics that people are interested in from them. Mm. But actually releasing the videos meant that a wider audience was aware of what I was doing and then were coming to me with other questions, which kind of sparked more ideas. So I started off thinking, well, I'll do a few videos and see how it goes. And I think I've done 24 now. So it's it was definitely not something that I had that many ideas for when I got started, but they've just sort of grown and grown. And I, I do have other things that I really want to do. I just need to find the time to do them. <laughs> but the from the training perspective, I think it's really important for anybody who is deeply involved in learning and development to be doing something that they are not good at and are not comfortable with because you have to learn. And having that learning mindset means that you are better able to write good training content. I think having that kind of familiarity with the feeling of being uncertain about whether this is the right thing to do and the right way to do it is really important because often people will get to a point where they are delivering training because they are really good at the thing that they are training people on. Mm -hmm. And that can mean that the content is actually very disconnected from the audience that it's intended for because there are things that seem completely obvious and are second nature to someone who's been doing it for years and finds it very easy, which are totally alien to the audience that is being trained. And if you can't break down those things and think, how does it feel to hear this for the first time? How does it feel to try and do it for the first time? Then it's very hard to write training content and deliver training sessions that are actually going to hit the mark and help people develop their skills and practice things and experiment in a safe way where they feel supported and able to ask the silly questions rather than feeling like they're a bit of an idiot for not knowing how to do this already kind of thing. So I think the YouTube channel has been one of the things that I have been doing this year to keep that learning mindset fresh in my mind. Yeah, I, I was going to say what I'm hearing there is in order to keep the beginner's mind, which is, yeah. uh, which is a very kind of strong theme in Buddhism, uh, approaching ah. life with a beginner's mind. Yeah, yeah. You got to start a YouTube channel <laughs> because the learning curve there is very steep. I hear mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And yeah. There's, always, there's always something new to, to learn. So I, I appreciate that. Just to kind of wrap up then, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about the expansion of questions that you're now exposed to because you have this different channel for communicating with people yeah. who are thinking about, you know, moving into medical writing, particularly on the freelance side. What are the, some of the key challenges that you're seeing or that people are coming to you with or questions mm. that they're coming to you with? I think some of the questions are around location. So there are obviously medcoms agencies focused in particular spots 
So there's a lot in London and in the Northwest in the UK, and then in a, a few different locations like New Jersey and California in the US and sort of other hotspots. And I think because partly because of COVID, people have moved a bit more away from the the standard places to work kind of thing. Mm. But also because writing seems like the kind of job that you should be able to do from anywhere, it can be a challenge to actually find work that is going to fit with your location. So that's something that people come to me with a lot. And I, I've got a couple of YouTube videos about how to actually approach that and kind of looking for people who are already doing what you're doing in your area so that you can start to make connections with other people and build that network of people who might be able to help you develop that that career. I think people thinking about freelancing are often quite nervous about where their work will come from. And mm. so one of the one of the you know key things is is having that agency experience from a medcom's perspective. But that's not necessarily going to then turn into obvious ways of getting work. So thinking about the people that you have worked with and the people that they have then gone on to work with and how you can actually kind of keep in touch and build relationships to mean that when you do go freelance, you've got a network of people who you know are involved in sourcing freelancers and who would be able to put you in touch with other people or vouch for your work once you do actually make that leap. That's something that that comes up a lot as well. Mm, yeah, no, I'm sure. And kind of getting your crystal ball out, what direction is Medcom's heading and what should medical writers be preparing themselves for in the next yeah. five years or so? So that's, yeah, that's an interesting one. I think more use of AI. So using AI for research, as I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think that's something that is going to become increasingly useful. I think different pharma companies are going to have different approaches to AI. So understanding what your clients are able to do and what you are able to do with the content that you're working on for those clients is going to be quite important. So having those questions around what kind of tools they have, because I think different companies are developing their own tools. Writers are going to be given access to some of those tools, depending on the kinds of projects that they're working on. That's going to be quite interesting. I think the omni-channel approach to content is going to be growing as well. And I think that's going to lead to a greater need for bite-sized content and things that are really catchy with a tiny amount of information that will just kind of get people thinking about something and then potentially come back for more. But I think the days of just being able to put out a paper or do a massive set of educational modules or something are possibly behind us. I think things are going to have to be much snappier and in a variety of different formats mm. because people don't have the attention spans that they're used to. They don't have time. They want something short and snappy that they can fit into a five-minute break while they're waiting for the kettle to boil rather than they want to sit down for a two-hour session with their notebook and 
making notes and things. I think shifting that focus is is going to be something that happens in medcoms. And we're definitely seeing that in uh, CME and CPD as well. You know, there's been a real shift to micro learning. Yeah. Obviously in medcoms, you know, medcoms has been, you know, long concerned with HCP engagement. But what I'm hearing a little bit more of is that conversation, that discussion around engagement is shifting much more toward what we would be familiar with in CME, which is outcomes. Are you seeing a similar shift in the work that you're doing with different agencies that there's more concern or there's more focus now on what type of frameworks do we need to accurately and systematically measure not only engagement, but outcomes in the omni-channel assets that, you know, Medcoms is responsible for putting out there into the world? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's such a tricky one because often the things that are easy to measure, like the number of clicks or likes or downloads, they don't necessarily translate into behavior change. And so looking at the outcomes that you actually want to achieve and finding KPIs or things that you can measure that will actually translate into that kind of behavior change is incredibly tricky. But I think the conversation around that is definitely growing. It's been around for a while and Mm. I don't think there are any super easy answers, but I think people are thinking about it more and thinking about the more kind of qualitative aspects of things that can be quantified. So looking at sort of a couple of questions about what people are currently doing and thinking before they do an activity and then the same questions Mm. afterwards or six weeks down the line, has there been a measurable difference? Are they saying something different? Are they doing something different? It's, It's not easy and designing those questions to be asking the right things in the right way is incredibly hard. But I think that kind of measurement is is beginning to be built into a lot more activities. Yeah, actually, we had some episodes with Katie Lucero, who focuses on outcomes analysis at Medscape. Ah, fantastic! Yes, for the podcast, and I'll put a link to in the show notes to those episodes because one of the you know part of our conversation focused exactly on that question of mm. the value of pre and post test questions and how those questions you know, their value is really tied to the wording, the word choice, the sequencing, all those things. And she offered some really kind of interesting tactics to mm. help people think about uh, how to write those types of questions in a way that really get Fantastic. at yeah. the sort of information that certainly people in CME might be looking for. Eleanor Steele, thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom and insights with listeners of Right Medicine. Where can they find you? So thank you so much for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure. You can find me on LinkedIn, either as Eleanor Steele or the Medcoms Mentor, or at my YouTube channel, Medcoms Mentor, on my website, medcomsmentor.com. And we'll make sure that we have all those links in the show notes. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Write Medicine. To continue building your medical writing skills, be sure to check out the additional resources Eleanor mentioned, including her YouTube channel and website. Mastering storytelling and audience targeting is critical for creating compelling medical communications. 
Use the techniques from this episode as you develop content across various formats. And if you'd like a checklist of these techniques, you'll find a link in the show notes for a downloadable tip sheet. The podcast is on a break until April the 1st. Until then, if you'd like support from me, download the right CME roadmap or subscribe to Ready Steady CME, an audio accelerator designed to help you fast track your entry into the CME and CPD field. If you prefer to work with me one-on-one, sign up for coaching. And of course, you can always join Right CME Pro for ongoing professional development. All the links are in the show notes. Until next time, go gently. Go gently.